Movers, shakers, makers. What makes creative people tick and how do they find and develop their inspiration? Welcome to the podcast that draws back the curtain on the inventive mind and its artistic process. I'm Emma Lister. Anders Duckworth is a British-Swedish choreographer and visual artist. They have a foundation diploma in art and design and have also completed a master's degree in choreography from London Contemporary Dance School. As a maker, Anders' work blurs movement and visual arts. With a long history of collaboration, they have choreographed for short films, installations, and theatrical pieces. And it's been selected as an official workplace artist at The Place in London until 2026. Their new piece, Mapping Gender, A New Solo, is a multidiscipline performance exploring how society controls and shapes landscapes and human bodies. It will premiere at The Place on the 28th of September, 2022. Um, yeah, your premiere is next week, so you're in final preparation mode. How's it going? It's full on. It's definitely <laughs> full steam ahead. We're... Yeah. Very much trying to like pull all the elements together because I I think with this piece it's there's so many collaborators and mm -hmm. and in some ways because I'm performing it and choreographing it I'm inside so I'm I'm, I'm kind of surrounded by lots of other people um, helping the work it's kind of a weird place to be in. Um, mm -hmm. To have like so many people kind of on the outside helping yeah. pull the strings and, and get the thing moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a challenge, but I think it's it's we've we've been working on it for two years now. So it's mm. it feels like all those conversations are now paying off. Everyone kind of knows exactly where we're going. Which is such a nice feeling. I definitely want to get into the uh, like the inception of the piece, and by the timeline you said two years, I suspect some the break during the the pandemic might have fed into it. But let's get to that in just a moment. Um, I have I've read through your bio a little bit, and it looks to me as though you were heading towards more visual art and design initially. Uh, what made you pursue a, a BA and then an MA in choreography? Was tell me about that little patch in your life. Yeah, well, I, I so I started doing an art foundation, um, and well, I should say I, I was dancing mm -hmm, before okay. and and was very interested about doing going to a conservatoire or or some kind of school to continue my dancing yeah like a formal training exactly and mm. I just felt that that was somehow like a little bit too soon so I enrolled on to this art foundation which yeah it was a moment to like explore a lot of different um different parts of my creativity I'd kind of been doing a lot of textiles and um, fashion so that that was kind of my specialism when I went onto the art foundation but I guess people who have done one you do get a chance to explore everything 
So that that was brilliant. And I had this moment of um, I applied to St. Martin's for the women's wear course. I got in. Yeah. I got in at the place, and yeah. I, I did have that kind of very <laughs> binary mm. um, crossroads option. Yeah, it was it was difficult, exactly. And I think what swung it in the end was well, it was kind of two things. One thing I just thought, like very logically, I'm young now. I'm I might not be able to do a mm-hmm. a dance training. Uh, later on in life whereas you know fashion or visual art or something I I might be able to so that was one really logical thing also there was something about the sense of like with with dance it's so open for collaboration people are really keen to collaborate and the whole setup you know you you have a lighting designer you have costume um so it's sort of these these other artists are already kind of programmed into Mm -hmm. the way the whole thing works so when I was speaking about um to the people at the place about you know is collaboration um like an option the answer was like yes absolutely like we totally Mm -hmm. encourage that um whereas you know on uh with fashion it was sort of a bit like oh okay that's an interesting thing that you might want to do don't know if like how that will work so so that I think that was what swung it for me that I just knew I wanted to collaborate with lots of artists working in different fields and that also I think I'm just a very visual person I'm I'm severely dyslexic so reading and writing is very challenging Um, going through school Mm. was very difficult um, I, I sort of now I love a lot of kind of academic work, but it was it was difficult. Um, yeah. And yeah, just my brain seems to work in that very visual way. Like I, that's how I kind of understand yeah. ideas. Or when I'm working in the studio with dance, I I'm always doing little drawings or kind of things to kind of frame what it is mm-hmm. that I'm wanting to get. And I. I I visualise a lot of my work and I get to the studio and it doesn't work and that's fine, but <laughs> but it's it's kind of the way it starts is, is through visualising. Do you still have a, a practice on your website? It looks as though you are still working with collage and with textiles and so you, you still have that running alongside. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm working a lot with... Um, well, uh, right now I'm sitting in like total artist mess, <laughs> which is bits <laughs> of paper and like stencils cut out. Um, yeah, it's it's the collage is very part of my practice, and and I guess more recently, um, about was it f- four years? I started doing a ceramics course because um, mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to. Um, I guess find something else creative that wasn't my work Um, and I had done a bit of ceramics and yeah I just fell back in love with it Um, Mm. so that's something I'm kind of doing as well yeah and I'm hoping one day those things will meet with dance (laughs) (laughs) I'm finding different ways I've uh, at the moment 
it's quite like geometric um, yeah. and and play and again I guess playing with collage um, but also thinking I guess about the collage as like possible entries into scores for movements mm. um, so I'm always interested in like notation you of, mean yeah notation and um, I think this is probably like a theme but like mapping ways yeah. of mapping movements documenting, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah the documenting is is something that i find really interesting um like the traces of something which happens mm-hmm. um and that kind of curiosity that is sparked by that let's talk about mapping gender so it is quote a solo performance which engages the audience in discussions of borders, boundaries, and their effect on people. It's an invitation to enter a world of non-binary perspectives of the demarcation of land and body. End quote. You have said elsewhere that uh, the spark of the idea came when you were reading a specific book. Can you tell me about that book? Mm, yeah. It was a book by Broughton, and the title... 12 Maps. Yes, exactly, yeah. 12 Maps That Changed the World. Um, and each chapter is, is about a different, um, a different map, and often it's about a border that's being drawn. I was kind of completely sucked into this um, kind of bizarre notion that one, one line across... Um, a sort of abstract um, drawing could could actually have such like devastating consequences for people, um, and that sort of it just felt incredibly violent and and for me that that violence um, felt very related to my understanding and and I guess lived experience of being a non-binary person immediately those kind of connections happened um, and then I spent a long time trying to find a way of um, I guess collate like collating all of this information um, to to see like I guess like research what these borders were doing and how how they affected people and also where borders could be beyond just the geographical border, also the border placed on on the body. Um, And again, I think coming back to like the way I work very visually, um, it felt it made a lot of graphic sense. Um, So then I, I spent a lot of time in the studio trying to find how how does that actually practically work how do those borders arise and appear within the body um and it's also a lot about the relationship i mean it's it's yeah relationship between you um and your body in relation to the world around you and i think the the kind of trans experience is is often um around this kind of finding places of safety. But when you step outside of your front door, you're in a, you're in a different place, which might not accept you. Um, and there's kind of threat and violence with that. 
so yeah, it's it kind of interesting that kind of domestic border, um, and and whether that's that's a home or whether that's um, a community. Um, I was kind of interested in those kind of micro borders that actually were really important um, for bodily autonomy um, and how those related or how they differed from these opposed borders from above. I mean, it's often said that history is written by the victors. You know, the people who who draw the maps um, are more likely in positions of power and are um yeah they're they're dictating the way in which we see the world and i think we might think of maps as as being governed by like mountains and rivers and con- like physical things but there's much shaped um by the people who made them and I, by that i mean maps are are actually like a depiction um of personal beliefs, I suppose. For example, um, I just took a few from from the book uh, for the listener. So there's a map by someone named Hereford, Mapa Mundi, which places Jerusalem at the center. There's another map which places Mecca as due south. And there's um, ones I'm sure we're, we're uh, familiar with in Britain, where Britain is very much in the center and literally amplified in terms of shape if you compare it to Africa, for example, the continent of Africa, Africa. Um, and, and now we have maps that try to actually correct these kind of Eurocentric conceits. So there's, there's actually, there's a lot of, there's a lot of variation in how you could draw a place and it often comes from who you are. I thought it was such an interesting, um, I thought it was such an interesting premise for a theatrical piece. Um, and I wondered if there was, um, I, I'm being very careful not to project my thoughts onto you, but I wondered if there was an element of reclaiming anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, um, the piece definitely aims to reclaim um, and untangle borders. Um, and I think there was this sense of, confusion of a desire to kind of um say i'm here i'm i'm present but in not not in a way which makes me need to kind of stake land or ownership of something um it was very much like an internal um desire to to share actually not only my experience because I mean, that's that's the experience which is kind of at the fore of the piece. But um, through the work, I did several uh, interviews with other non-binary people. And that was very much part about, well, if there is this kind of non-binary experience, what what is that? What does that look like? And I wanted to kind of, I guess, sew lots of those together and to see a sort of a chain which is kind of messy and 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 very hard to pin down. I think that's also something that I'm really trying to show and I guess embrace is that the kind of impossible idea that we might come to a fixed, fully formed map of anything. Like uh, like with with Google Maps, the 
they're having constantly to update because we're yeah the tectonic plates on on earth are moving and shifting and and also i think yeah project projections the most accurate accurate projections currently are i don't know 30 okay. centimeters out or a kind of quite an odd number but it's somehow to make it work that they have to do lots of complicated sort of rearranging of information which i think is is interesting because we're presented with certainly mm. now i think it um it's inter- we could maybe talk about historically but now we're presented with this kind of notion of a map being um the most accurate um representation um and in fact it's it's not it's a, there's a lot of kind of jigglery pokery going on behind to make this map function um especially on google my goodness yeah i mean i think like google maps sorry to interrupt you i think of google maps as like a collection of like photographs essentially isn't it you could so you could look at your own house i don't know if you've ever looked at a house um that you've lived in yeah but you look at a map or your flat your old flat from a few years ago and it looks completely different or it was like winter on one click and then you go a few clicks away and then it's all of a sudden spring somewhere else like it's it's uh it's totally artificial in some ways isn't it it's Mm. it's dependent on the moment that the little google car drove by with its little bobble and i always wave at them when they go by so (laughs) (laughs) i hope someone somewhere sees emma like waving on oxford street (laughs) Uh, you were talking about stitching things together uh which gives me a very elegant segue thank you anders uh, to, to speak about the um, the gown that you that mm. you have in in the piece, um, I, you're the fashion expert. So, seventeenth, eighteenth century. Uh, yeah, it's an eighteenth century. Eighteenth century. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's it's the kind of dress for the listener um, where it exaggerates parts of the body, like literally with scaffolding underneath, and it it's um, yeah, it's the original bodycon. Except not, it, yeah. yeah it's, um, what, what would be what would be a good sort of Marie Antoinette kind of? I'm just trying to give the the listener a visual. What, what's a good? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's um, so the dress. Um, it kind it comes from a specific dress in the V&A archive. Ah, okay, um, which um, is seventeen. 60s um but i might need to triple check that we'll do um, a link in the show notes V&A. yeah great it's uh and it was i think i i came across it one time visiting um the vna and um it's always stuck in my mind because if you see it it's kind of it's such an extreme shape like the the width the um the hips are exaggerated so much and they kind of it's in the english style which is very square so it kind oh, of comes out flat and then um yeah so it's it's like almost like a, a square and then when you when you turn round it's very narrow mm. and i was just really struck with this kind of relationship with the way maps work and this um the sense of the 2D trying to represent a 3D. Um, and it just kind of felt like it was a map. And actually, yeah, the 
the way we we kind of went through several kind of versions of of different prints for the dress um but we ended up with this um image of a map um mm. which we we subverted uh we took out all the place names and um if you're coming to the show uh, you'll notice if you look carefully that um the place names are other things that um point to kind of um i guess senses of identity um particularly gender identity but also this uh like sense of being lost or um one of my favorite uh ones is parts unknown mm. which we took actually from um also from a 17th century map which had a whole area which just said parts unknown <laughs> what was it which i thought um like antarctica or something yeah it was it was it was definitely north um yeah. in the, the Arctic, map yeah. yeah i think i think it actually could have been um northern canada yeah. but um yeah it was uh it's like there be monsters or they are they used to write yeah basically we don't know what this is but there's definitely a dragon yeah and and it's kind of interesting to think about how like we were just talking about maps mm. now we feel like we know the whole mm. globe like we know everything and and to think of a time where people didn't know yeah. and um and there was also this kind of sense from just that related so much to like i guess the human experience mm. is that we don't know everything we can't we can't understand everything mm. um and i wanted to kind of share that with um with people coming to see the show is that you know the non-binary experiences there's a lot of unknown mm. because sadly our history isn't documented mm. um and and there's some really great um academics out there who are slowly starting to kind of sift through history and and find evidence of um our existence but yeah mm. it's it's a kind of strange place of unknowing those dresses as well though they um they very much dictate the way you're going to see the person's form because they are so exaggerated in some ways, but they ultimately conceal the body underneath. You know, I you yeah you, you can't really imagine what the person underneath looks like. Yeah, yeah, it's completely dictated, and there's this kind of sense of yeah artificial shaping of the body in and to like mm -hmm. a um, contemporary audience that seems so like totally bizarre and bonkers that you would wear something mm. like this but the fact is that we are continuing mm. to you know shape the body um to kind of beauty standards um standards mm. of like mm. um of binary gender very theatrical as well um, yeah i had so much fun like, choreographically <laughs> i would love to wear one of those exciting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean that was something also having it made was It was a strange it's a very strange feeling being inside those clothes mm, because yeah. there's a kind of there's a sense of um being constrained and um you I I really I was totally reliant 
when I'm wearing it, I'm totally reliant on people helping me. I'm totally helpless ah, interesting. In, this, in this costume. Right. To get into. So I'm, yeah. I'm to get into, to um, go through doorways, you know, if I need <laughs> go through doorways, if I need water and, <laughs> you know, it, it suddenly becomes very complicated to do things. So on those rare occasions when I am rehearsing alone, um, it's, it's like, I'm, I wish there was a camera in the corner because it must be like a comedy, <laughs> like trying to navigate, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, but at the same time, um, so there's this kind of sense of constriction and discomfort. Mm. Um, uh, but at the same time, you dominate a lot of space. Mm. Um, and I think that was a really key thing that the dress was absolutely representing was this kind of colonial ambition to dominate space to exhibit wealth Mm. um, because you know a a huge part of the dress the most important part of the dress would have been the fabric um, which would have been um, something that you wanted to show off Um, and yeah, so I was I was very interested in that kind of sense of mm. of constriction, yet being um, being such a kind of big um, imposing figure in the space. The piece is a collaboration as well with sound artist Kat Austin, as well as olfactory artist John Foley, who is creating a scentscape. And I've heard of scent being used in theatre before, and I can't off the top of my head think of a good example. Uh, certainly I know in like mid-century cinema, they they tinkered a little bit with using scent. Um, I'm sure you could think of some theatrical examples. Um, but... Um, yeah, scent is such a subjective thing. Like, you know, the easiest example is like a route straight to your memory. Like smelling your grandmother's perfume instantly takes you back to seeing her. Um, yeah, tell me about how how and why you've chosen to use scent in this piece. Yeah, it's it's a funny one. I I think it was because also coming back to just um, Kat Austin, who's the sound. Um, artists they're working with like physical elements of landscape to create sound Um, and somehow like I I wanted to situate people in like a a different world Mm. um, but it to be feel really kind of tangible Um, and smell is a really interesting thing because it, it can transport you to different places mm-hmm. so I think that's why I really wanted to bring John Foley onto the project it was also something I'd never tried before and yeah. um, I was just really excited to to explore that option and that, it's interesting because smell is used in a lot of other like in in fashion shows you'll often have smell in mm-hmm. Um, but it hasn't really entered performance worlds that yeah, much. Like I, which I, I think is... I know there are some, but I can't. Th- I can't actually think of an example without looking up. But yeah, 
like I, I don't I have not been to a contemporary dance performance with smell certainly um, not dance I can just say no. that and um and performance I, I haven't knowingly <laughs> been <laughs> in a place with smell there's sometimes interesting smells going on and you're not really sure if it's part of the show or not well but, but being um, in the theater does have a smell like dry ice has this like sweet smell and like there's kind of a dusty smell in theaters anyway or like pyrotechnics you get kind of this smoky thing so I guess there's smell there it's just not being manipulated if that makes sense mm, yeah and that just reminds there's a really there's a really nice perfume I think it's Penhaligon and it's mm-hmm. uh it's it's based off um like theaters and oh, they take kind of elements of like <laughs> rosin that you might use for the shoes oh god and, that would just make me nervous uh, to smell dust and yeah i know well that that's my like, I, I, w- I would want to get it but <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the trauma of the theater <laughs> no for me there's like a an elnet hairspray that like yeah makes me oh, wow. very very yes. anxious <laughs> 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 little spritz of Elnet. <laughs> what are what are some of the smells that uh, that are part of the soundscape, or are they are are they are we not meant to be able to pinpoint them? Is it more? Um, uh, I can't I can't think of the right word. I don't know anything about soundscape. Yeah, so so it does it changes. Abstract. Um, it's um, so there's two two scents, um, and one of them, the first one, is very complex it kind of works in three parts and um it's very much um it was inspired by a Watto painting um and Watto is a painter who was kind of um famous for painting these particular dresses Mm. um and uh, what John was really interested in was that whole um kind of romanticization of landscape um that was happening in that period so he took kind of elements of um of like the foliage that um and the the soil so it's quite an earthy and um herbaceous smell i would say um yeah, I shouldn't describe it too much because you should yeah, come it's and experience hard. it. And, exactly. And be, <laughs> yeah, um, and then and then it moves to something else, um, a kind of diff- a different world. Which I think, if you're in the show, you you yeah. will um, yeah. you'll get it. Um, but yeah, it was it was about tr- being able to transport people, uh, and yeah. smell is has that ability. So kind instantly. of instantly, uh, instantly, yeah. Uh, kind of like um it works very different to vision um mm-hmm. in that the like the actual neuro pathways yeah. are closer to that part of the brain yeah. um so it's we don't have so much of a choice whereas with mm-hmm. vision we we almost have to go through the um i don't know the the like technical terms yeah. for all the parts of the brain but they're kind of um, it needs to get, be filtered through logic first before it enters. Um, That's so interesting because I, I feel like yeah. we're so it's so much easier to speak an- analytically in terms of visual things, whereas scent. You and I were both grappling for words to talk about things that smell because I don't really have the vocabulary. I don't even 
think about it that much. Things smell good、mm. or things smell bad in a way. Exactly. Well, yeah, not to John、so、Foley, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've learned so much from John,、um, and yeah, he's very articulate. But、um, I think yeah, we we're just not、um, keyed into that. If mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.、Um, yeah, we don't use words really to describe smell, so it's. It's an interesting, a really interesting area, especially as somebody who kind of, I sort of try to dodge words sometimes because <laughs> I'm trying. And maybe that's being a kind of non-binary person. I'm sort of trying to like weave in between the words rather than、um, <laughs> finding a word that's going to kind of hold hold the thing. Piece of art. It doesn't just have to be、uh, like a piece of visual art. It could be a book or a sound or a movie or anything that changed everything for you.、Mm. Yeah, I really great questions.、Um, it's very satisfying to kind of try and think of that. Also frustrating because there's you know so much, isn't there, that influences you. Um, but I was thinking, like that, really changed. And I think、um, coming back to like time doing my art foundation,、um, you know, they're really early informative years.、Um, and I came across a the fashion designer Hussein Chalian,、um, who who works in fashion, but、um, I guess subverts. Subverts that practice. It kind of enters into kind of visual arts, and and I think the fashion world don't really know where to to place him.、Um, and in particular, if I was going to be specific, it was、mm. uh, wart- um, autumn winter two thousand、um, collection, which I was <laughs> hugely inspired by.、Um, And what happened basically was,、um, you kind of had this fashion show, which was had loads of really interesting pieces. But what really struck me was, towards the end of the show, there was this kind of weird set. It was like a nineteen, it felt like a nineteen fifties set,、um, and they took、um, the covers off the the chairs and started using them as.、Uh, As pieces of clothing,、oh, wow. and then and then the finale of the show is someone、um, takes out a kind of hole from from the table and steps inside the table and like a concertina pulls up the table <laughs> and attaches it to, to their waist、awesome. and it be- and it becomes a dress、um, and yeah I think that was probably a really you know changing moment for me because I've always. Been fascinated by clothes、mm-hmm. and and the、mm-hmm. way that they like enter our lives and and change change the way we are our identity and and I think that kind of being a the power of clothes to sort of transform function and identity、um, mm-hmm. yeah is there a piece that you don't like 
but that you think has value? Yeah, I think it's a really great question. Um, it's just very hard to uh, to answer. But I, I think I settled on parts of pop art. Um, and yeah. if I was going to choose a yeah. piece, it would mm. probably be the Wham piece by um, Roy Lichtenstein. Lichtenstein. Yeah. 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 Uh, 1963, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's... I can understand it um, on a theoretical level. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of quite interesting. Um, but I think it's emotionally, it doesn't really do anything for me. It's um, junk food, yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, God damn it. When I walk through a gallery and I see an Andy Warhol, I always stop and look at it because it's so visually appealing. But it, I, yeah, mm. I mean, he's, he's a slightly more interesting person, perhaps. I don't, I don't know a whole lot yeah, about Warhol. Yeah, I, th I think Warhol has slightly grown on me. Um, like, yeah, I could have picked some things like the canned soup and stuff. Mm. But I, there's something interesting when you see, like, um, as like when you see the screen prints and they like do change over yeah. time yeah yeah and that that i can yeah. kind of i get sort of a bit emotionally connected to mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but i think with Liechtenstein, it's very um artificial yeah yeah there doesn't seem to be much soul for me good answer um who or what should we know about that we may not know about give us a recommendation so i'd say probably I think Mareza von Stockart, who's somebody I've performed with, um, is somebody who I haven't heard many people talk about. Um, she's been around quite a while. And I think her work is incredible and, and it, probably really inspiring for me. Um, she works a lot with objects and, um, and finding a way of moving with objects that, um, I guess, moves beyond. So, so there's skills of kind of puppetry as a performer that you're you're dealing with. But um, the, yeah, her work is really poetic. Can I mention some more people? <laughs> oh yeah, go for it. <laughs> there was also uh, Alethea Antonia, who I should say is a friend of mine. Um, That's fine. But uh, yeah, she's great. I mean. Everyone knows everyone, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but she, she's doing really, I think, really exciting uh, and kind of powerful work. Uh, are they a, a choreographer or...? Yes. Um, yeah, they're a choreographer, um, a black person looking at kind of trauma and um, the experience of, of um, black women's experience. Um, so, yeah, I think a really important voice to have in dance. And also, um, there's so many. Eleanor Lewis um, is also a really great um, kind of also choreographer, but kind of that bridging that sort of their work kind of sits in gallery, for me, sits in gallery space as well as theatre space. Um, it's, it's very visual. It's very kind of simple and stripped back which excites me 
Mapping Gender will premiere at The Place in London on September 28th and will go on to be performed at Cambridge Junction and Worthing Theatres and Museum. We'll link to all of that in the show notes, as well as Anders' website and some of the stuff we talked about. Bye for now. Okay, closing credits. This has been a Makeshift Company production. Follow us on Instagram at Makeshift Company or check out our website, makeshiftcompany.com. Please remember to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this episode, especially if you say nice stuff. Thanks to Zachary Manisto for his help with the theme music and other audio tinkering. And now, from the cutting room floor, I give you... Well, Anders. Tack. Oh, tack så mycket. <laughs> Jättebra.